Ohio wins some, but loses more. John Kasich calls Ted Strickland a caretaker. And state budget negotiations enter the blood from a stone phase. These topics are more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Laura Bischoff, State House reporter for the Dayton Daily News. Joe Hallett, senior editor for the Columbus Dispatch. Sam Gresham of Common Cause Ohio. Mark Weaver, Republican strategist. It was quite a week for Ohio's employment picture. GM filed for bankruptcy and announced the closing of its stamping plant in Mansfield and a warehouse in Columbus. J.P. Morgan Chase announced it would add some 1,100 jobs to its operation in Columbus. Most of them will be located at Polaris. Tax incentives helped in Chase's decision, but Ohio tax bait was not enough to keep NCR Corporation and 1,300 jobs from leaving Dayton for Atlanta. If you total all these announcements up, Ohio suffered a net loss of 1,100 jobs. Laura Bischoff, quite literally, it was one step forward and two steps back this week. Absolutely. And, the, you know, the, the one step forward with Chase doesn't even compare to NCR. Those Chase jobs are going to be paying on average 20 bucks an hour. The NCR jobs are in the $80,000 plus jobs. They're uh, high-tech computer uh, programming and and um, and you know, all that computer cash stuff. Cash register stuff. Cash <laughs> register. Well, they make cash register, ATM. self ATMs, self-check-in. Uh, they also have, um, you know, a whole ho host of business services. And, and those jobs are, are, are gone. And it's, it's, you can't even underestimate the, the impact it's going to have on Dayton. Let's start with the automakers and work our way from there. <coughs> Is there anything the state can do to keep the automakers, Chrysler and GM in particular, from scaling back in Ohio? Those companies just seem to be totally retrenching no amount of incentives or anything like that are going to affect that. I think the posture that. of the industry makes that very difficult for the state of Ohio to do anything. I think the most important thing now is to sell units. And once they, they rebound, if you look at the overall car buying in America, it has been reduced at one time it was up to 18 million and now it's down to 8 million. That's a big drop. Trying to get the domestic car market uh, back up to the level that it's going to be. Um, uh, that it was, it's probably not going to ever happen again. And then you haven't added in the equation of the cost of gas. Yeah. Um, should they focus on the foreign automakers? We tried, we made a run at Honda a couple years ago. I know Mitsubishi and, and Hyundai have built plants in the south. Should we make a run at those? We've not really done anything serious about trying to develop Ohio's business uh, climate. The, the governor has put different people in charge of it. First, Lee Fisher was in charge of it. There were some fits and starts. Then he decided he wants to be a senator. Then the governor put somebody else in charge of it, Mr. Barbash. Apparently, he owes some back taxes. They had to put him down, put somebody else up. Uh, we need leadership in this area, and we need somebody full-time identifying what does it take to attract businesses and jobs. And the answer is probably a better tax structure. But is that going to, on the automakers, is Tax structure is not going to save GM and No, there is, it is plans. such a drastic retrenchment right now. There's there's very little that uh, that government can do. Uh, it's mm -hmm. really in the hands of the federal government at this point. But but isn't this whole industrial thing is not a state by state issue? It's really a regional issue. That's true. And we need uh, national industrial policy. We really do. And we have not thought through this thing because you used the word earlier. People poaching from one state to the other. Uh, it doesn't make any any sense, um, you know. And, and the only benefactors are the private sector. 
Um, the, the individual states, it's like I, I'm abandoned. Whoever offers me the best deal, I'm moving. It's like a professional franchise. <laughs> Manufacturers are doing that now. And somehow that does not make sense um, from a standpoint, and we're still doing stupid stuff offshore. We need a comprehensive regional manufacturing policies that we all agree on. Joe, did, on, the ch on the Chase thing, did the tax, were, the, were the tax incentives the reason why Chase put these 1,100 uh, jobs here? Yeah, I think they were a big reason why. I think they were, to a degree, shamed uh, by uh, Representative Mary Jo Kilroy, who found out that there was a plan to ship a lot of the Chase jobs overseas. She called them on it. Uh, that may have had an impact on their decision to stay in Columbus but uh, and expand here in Columbus and Westerville. But uh, the tax incentives, the government giveaways are big, are key in a lot of these uh, deals. And uh, sometimes you wonder whether it's worth it uh, to the taxpayers. You look at NCR, Ohio apparently offered $31 million. Georgia offered 60, the package deal. But NCR has been moving to Atlanta for quite some time. There's, there's twice as many employees down there as there were in Dayton. They're just basically, it looks like they're trying to consolidate their operation down there. Um, yes, but they do have a 125-year history in, Ohio, in, in Dayton. Mm -hmm. And John Patterson, the, the inventor of the cash register, the founder of NCR, I mean, he was, it, he's a titan in Dayton history. I mean, he was the one who, he was wading through the floodwaters after the 1913 flood, building boats so that people could get rescued. Um, he's the one who helped convince the federal mm -hmm. government to keep Wright Pat, what, what is now Wright Pat, right there. Um, so even though they've been, they've been spread out all around the world, and certainly they have a, a large operation in, in Atlanta, but this is a significant decision for them to, to pull out of Dayton. I think that Ohio has a little bit of an image problem. Um, there's this uh, idea that, you know, that we're a Rust Belt state, we don't have very cool or hip places for young workers to live. Cool. And I, I don't think that a lot of people know about the um, 2005 tax reforms that, that, they've, um, that they've done and that they're phasing in and at the phase-in finishes this year. Um, and, you know, like they say, well, you know, Georgia offered all this money. Ohio could have offered just as much or more. They put, they put $60 million on the table for NetJets last year in, in a variety of, uh, of Incentive. tax incentives. Did they take them for granted? Were they late to... They were never they invited to the table. <coughs> yeah. They said that they, 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 in the last couple of weeks they couldn't get callbacks. But, but you, you know something, if you think long term about this particular industry, if you think real hard of what's going on in Europe and Africa and the rest of the world, ATMs are, are, are about to go out of business. We're about to go to uh, banking over telephones. And as an industry, you're going to see a radical change. Now, we still need brick and mortars to go get our money, but a lot of the activities that we are now doing at ATMs uh, will eventually be transferred to the telephone. And I think long term, National Cash Register is looking for another industry to get into because 20 years from now, it, what we do now, it won't be the same. The other thing that cropped up briefly is that apparently Columbus, Georgia was planning on using some federal stimulus money to attract to build a manufacturing facility for NCR in suburban Atlanta or near Atlanta. That hasn't been approved and it's created quite a firestorm. This right. is the dirty little underside of the stimulus package. Stimulus package mm -hmm. is controversial in its own right in that we're essentially we're mortgaging not our children but our grandchildren's future to make spending today. But in addition, it's now having cities and regions compete against one another to the point where potentially, it hasn't happened yet, a community in Georgia may use federal dollars, which Ohioans sent to Washington, to take jobs away from Ohio. It's going to be quite a consternation. Sherrod Brown, who was the deciding vote, who flew 
blew in to cast a deciding vote for the stimulus package has a real PR problem in this area. But is the Obama administration pretty much nixed the idea uh, once it got wind that Georgia may be using stimulus dollars to steal a company from from Ohio. Uh, politicians on both sides of the aisle called uh, uh, Georgia on this, and the Obama administration uh, pretty much says, we're going to keep our eye open on this. This is not what stimulus funds are to be used for. And this was a small portion of the overall package. I believe that the, the yep. stimulus money was mm -hmm. for the manufacturing portion, not the national headquarters. And those are for jobs that are moving from, I believe, so, uh, Columbia, South Carolina to Columbus, Georgia. But, but the stimulus package is just a later version. We had urban development action grants. We had urban renewal, who fundamentally did the same things. When you had urban renewal, you attracted cities into uh, manufacturing. With urban development action grants, you did the same thing. I, I think it continues to show the, the lack of coordination and real sense in the manufacturing and industrial policy in this, in this country. We should not have these types of competitions that we're having, and we should not use federal dollars to do those types of things. Let's get to our second topic. The issue lasted about as long as the Blue Jackets' playoff appearance. Much like the Red Wings swept away the Jackets, county and state politicians quickly skated away from a proposal to raise cigarette and alcohol taxes to help solve the hockey team's financial problems. Franklin County commissioners wanted no part of the plan to have the county buy the arena and then rewrite the Jackets' lease. When local support melted away, so did support at the State House. Mark Weaver, you're a political strategist. From the Blue Jackets' perspective, what went wrong here? I'm not going to try to compete on hockey metaphors with you, though, although I'd like to one day. <laughs> they were good. Uh, I'm a political strategist. I deal with government and law and communications every day, but I'm also a Blue Jackets fan. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that uh, Columbus, even if you don't attend the games, has become a fan of the Blue Jackets. If for no other reason, it has given us a vibrant arena district with lots of new businesses, lots of activity in the evenings. It's an important part of our city. I think everybody can agree on that. And I think most people would like the Blue Jackets to stay. Joe and I were talking before the show, people didn't realize the Blue Jackets had this big a deficit and that there's some threat that they might leave. We see Phoenix has a problem with their team. They're and a, exactly. In Canada, there's a city in Canada who's trying to take them, a suburb out in Toronto. And so we all need to come together, notwithstanding this sort of... Um, you know, false start, if you will, to use another sports metaphor. This was not the best way to have this come out. When you want help for an entity like the Blue Jackets, you need to build the public coalition first mm -hmm. and then go to the leaders, not the old days where you went and talked to some legislative leaders and tried to slip it into a budget bill. It was really a ham-handed lobbying effort on behalf of the lobbyists who represents the Blue Jackets. Uh, as Mark said, when, uh, most people didn't know that Blue Jackets ha had lost $80 million in their first seven years, $10 million last year. There's only uh, so many checks for $10 million that John P. McConnell, the owner of the team, is willing to write before he says, you know, I can't do this anymore. Uh, but uh, now I don't know what plan B is. Personally, I love the Blue Jackets. It's what I do in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. uh, they are the anchor for $750 million worth of development in the arena district. If they go, I don't know what happens to that. So there's, beyond the economic uh, blow to the city, there is a, a psychological uh, image blow. And uh, I, I, it, we, we can't sustain it. We've got to figure out 
a way to keep that team here. Will the taxpayers be a part of this equation, or is this all going to have to be handled in the private sector? I personally think? would be willing to pay an extra two dollars or two cents for a bottle of beer to keep them here, although that would be pretty costly for me. Attendance hasn't been the problem, has it? I, I think the place has been sold out, right? It yeah. was sold out for a while. It's down. It, it, it fits eighteen thousand, and it's hit, I think, averaged around fourteen or fifteen thousand. They have met their NHL average to get more money to the team this last okay, year. Okay, but McConnell signed what a twenty-five year, hundred and six million dollar lease, paying somewhere between four um, to uh, four, three to four million dollars a year, and the numbers can't work out. With well, that's the problem. They've got a bad lease deal. It's not. It's not necessarily that the team can't survive. They just got to find a new way to lease this. We are one of only uh, two cities in America in which the arena stadiums are not a combination of private public financing, and uh, I worry that because uh, of the the poor lobbying effort on this that. Uh, the chance could be lost for finding that public-private. But isn't that that way because in 97 we tried to get a, a, a 5% uh, tax increase and it failed and the only way to keep the team coming here was to build a, a private sector project like we have? I think yep. absolutely true. Uh, I think, I hope that if we had a vote on this again, uh, citizens might feel the other way because I think they've come to realize the value of, of this team to our city. Uh, I was going to say, I, um, I don't watch hockey, but I do drink beer and I don't want to <laughs> pay an extra two cents a bottle. So. <laughs> <laughs> what now would you pay two cents a bottle or a can or whatever? Um, if they were to lump it in with arts organizations, they would say, okay, we're going to raise Share. the sin taxes and we're going to fund not only the Blue Jackets or help the Blue Jackets out, we're going to help out COSI, which has had money problems. We're going to help out the Greater Columbus Arts Council, Kappa, Columbus Art Museum. Might that go over? I don't know. Uh, everybody's taxes is a three-letter word, but everybody runs from it. The only person who's had the fortitude to really face it has been city government, city council, and the mayor. Everybody runs from the idea of increasing taxes. How about this for a crazy idea? Maybe they've been trying to get Nationwide to rework the lease, and Nationwide has been balking. And they said, okay, we'll go to the state legislature. It crashed and burned. Now they can go to Nationwide and say, see, the public's not going to go for this. You've got to rework the lease or we're going to leave. Here's the answer. The public will go for it if you, if you market it and inform the people correctly. It's not that much different from a school levy. People who drop a big school levy on, a, on an electorate right before an election a few months out yeah. tend to lose. Ones that build coalitions and explain the problems and make the case for why the school needs better needs to be better and then add people to the co coalition of the campaign to help, they tend to win. That's the way to do this. I think the public would if you made the case to them that this is an economic anchor for the Even city. Even in this type of environment With where, the right where poor people are losing health care, where MRDD people are losing benefits, we're going to support a hockey and team? It wouldn't be a sales tax, wouldn't work as a property income tax, but a sin tax where people go, well, at least I can control what I do there. It's it possible, but the way it was done so far, my guess is it didn't have a chance. And a lot of jobs in the arena district will be lost if the jackets go. So, all right, we'll see. At the State House, now the real work begins. The Republican Senate this week passed its $53 billion state budget. It's a lot different than the Democratic House budget. First of all, it's about a billion dollars less. And the Senate scrapped the governor's education plan. And there is still not enough money. The Senate budget is still up to $2 billion short of being balanced. 
Sam Gresham, where's that money going to come from? Oh, you must remember one more thing. We may get data on revenues as they're coming in, and they may be reduced one more time. I think it's the most difficult um, budget that we've had in a number of years. Uh, and the short time period, they have less than 30 days to get that budget ready, or we're going to have to go into a continuing resolution. I think this will test the leadership. Of, uh, of the uh, Ohio and the Democratic and Republican side to see if we can come together. Now, if we get into locked in the um, political ideology and dogma, um, this would be interesting to see. And we also caught up in a, a gubernatorial reelection. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see. But there were a couple of nuggets in there that pretend the political um, possibility, which was the involvement in Cuyahoga County politics and restructuring the alternative to, to county government in, in, uh, in um, Cuyahoga County. Plus, also, the, the portion of the bill that, that a lot of people are really angry at is the assessment to the hospital, that they took out $333 million, and how that's going to be balanced against what the Democrats wanted to do and the health care assistance that could have been provided. What's the biggest stumbling block? Is it Further cuts, or is it the education plan? It's it's money. I mean, it's it's. This is as Sam mentioned. I've been around watching state house politics for 25 years. This is easily the most difficult conference committee I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Next week we're going to get new budget numbers, which will probably show that they have at least maybe a two. Uh, at least a $2 billion hole to fill in this current budget. With these maybe, current numbers? Maybe two and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, it's going to it's going to require cuts and it might even require a tax, uh, it might even necessitate a tax, tax increase if they can get both parties to come together. Well, on Sam's it. point is well taken. There's certainly some party politics playing here, but major editorial boards around the state, including the dispatch, have pointed out that the governor started out with what are essentially phony numbers and allowed the House to act. Some people say the House knew, some people say they didn't know. Either way, the numbers weren't real until it got to the Senate, and now we're finding out the numbers are getting worse day by day. It will be with the most difficult conference committee in a long time. Can they, can they balance this budget without any kind of new revenue in the form of some we're kind of tax? We're going to have to divorce politics, and Ohioans are going to have to step eyeball to eyeball with each other. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it's not a two-year budget that we're talking about. We're talking about probably an eight-year budget to resolve all our problems over the long term and carving out a path that will get us to that eight-year period. Laura, is there any way the Senate, Bill Harris, Senate President, would even consider a tax increase? He kind of, he, he, he had some dire sound bites and quotes this week saying this is very difficult and things like that. Well, I think once they get the new numbers and they know you know what's the what the moving the moving target? Where is it right now? Once they get a better beat on that, I, I think that they're going to have to they're going to have to consider it. But I think they're going to do some very deep cuts before that. And I, the only time I think that they'll they'll what would actually push them to to accept a tax increase is if they had to like you know turn loose murderers from the prisons. The uh, school reform package is that just going to get pushed aside? Two sides are so very far apart. There's so many problems to deal with. Are you just going to put that aside for now? Well, Strickland says he's going to fight for it. This is his uh, evidence-based mm -hmm. system. The problem is it's not funded. Uh, it's it's a 10-year plan, and even the first two years of it are not funded, let alone the last eight. Well, and the so great irony of that is they say it's constitutional now, but the Supreme Court said you can't take a two-year plan and fund it over 10 years. That would make it unconstitutional on that grounds. So education... Is there any way to resolve it in the next 30 days? No. Absolutely unequivocal, no. Not given what the two sides are. What two's are. Drilling in state parks is in the Senate budget. 
tens of millions of dollars a year it could raise, they say. Just doesn't sound right, does it? Drilling at state parks. Roll that off your tongue a couple of times. <laughs> but at the same time, it does generate money to help support the parks. And so I think they're looking at you know, new ways to come up with uh, revenue that doesn't hurt them politically. The this environmentalists are going to support that? No, they're not going to support it, but um, I think that people would prefer uh, a few, you know, well-placed um, well, drilling rigs and wells somewhere. Uh, as opposed to having to pay seven or eight, nine, ten bucks to get into the parks. Well, if you look like a state park, 20,000 acres at Salt Fork, mm -hmm. and if you're saying two acres will be drilled with appropriate screening, that's not going to impact anyone's experience when they're hiking or camping at Salt Fork. And this kind of drilling, it's different. It's not like you're blowing off the top of a mountain right. to get yeah. your coal. It's these little it's small They're pretty rigs. small rigs. Yeah. Our last topic, John Kasich formally launched mm -hmm. his campaign for governor this week, calling Ted Strickland a caretaker governor. Kasich promised to right the ship and bring Ohio out of a ditch. Kasich, a former congressman and presidential candidate, is a deficit hawk. He wants to reduce the size of state government and phase out the state's income tax. Democrats point out another line on Kasich's resume, managing director for Lehman Brothers, the failed financial company that became the poster child for the Wall Street collapse. Joe Hallett. It was pretty harsh criticism by Kasich towards Governor Strickland, and Governor Strickland has a 55, 56% approval rating. Right. Will it stick? Um, yeah, it'll, it'll stick on both sides. Uh, this uh, gubernatorial battle will be fought on the issue of the economy in Ohio. They'll both be espousing the jobs, jobs, jobs message. Uh, Strickland will, will, even though... Uh, arguably, he has not turned around Ohio. Nobody has turned around anything in this economy in this country. So uh, he will blame Bush for the bad economy. Kasich will blame Strickland. Strickland will press Kasich for his ideas and say, okay, what would you do? Kasich will espouse the typical Republican message of lower taxes, uh, skinny down state government, as he calls it. Strickland will say, it's skinny to the bone. What else are you going <laughs> to cut? Um, so we're going to have a, 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 a... What's heartening to me is we're going to have a fun battle because Kasich is a, he's a bombastic. He's folks. He's kind of cut out of the same mold as Jim Rhodes. He's an economic populist. And I have to give the Ohio Republican Party credit. Left for Dead just two years ago, unlike their national uh, brethren, they have rebounded. They are putting together a pretty strong statewide ticket, uh, to my surprise, led by Kasich and, and Rob Portman. So I, uh, a while ago, I would have never guessed that we would have a spirited, closely contested 2010 statewide election. Now I think we will. Is Lehman Brothers, they've already, the Democrats jumped on that right away. We expect campaign ads focusing on that. I, if Lehman Brothers was thriving, John Kasich would say, I have real-world business experience, that's why I should be governor. Now he's got to run away with it. Well, which, which work Kasich made a very good point this week. He said, you can't blame a managing director of the Columbus office for the collapse of a national company any more than you'd blame a Zanesville car dealer for the collapse of General Motors. Is uh, John Kasich has never overrepresented what he did there, and the fact that he was the Columbus person for that company means that he was really more a victim of what happened than the cause of it. I think he has a bigger issue, though. I don't think it's, I think economics plays a part in it, but I think he has a generational issue. Since the John Kasich was here and a populist and uh, being reelected, the two generations have almost come along and gone since he's been here. 
And uh, the polling says that a lot of people, the younger people in particular, don't know who John Kasich is and can't put that relationship as chairman mm -hmm. of the House Budget Committee as prominent as we old salt do. We understand who he is. So I think he has a generational issue. I also think he has an ideas issue. H has the Democratic eyes, ideas taken surface? And have the Republican ideas, which he's going to expound, been repudiated? And is that something that's going to really uh, take hold and traction with this generation of voters? I'm not sure. You well, know, here, here's you know he says he wants to phase out, this is an idea issue, he says he wants to phase out the state income tax. Has he not looked at the state budget lately? I mean, the, the, the uh, tax rate, the 21% across the board tax reduction that we've done, you know, is, is a big hit to the budget and it's one of the reasons why Ohio is struggling. Okay, let's get to our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel. Some final thoughts, some predictions for the weeks ahead. Lord Bischoff, you're up first. I will predict that uh, we will be hearing about NCR and, uh, and the job losses on the campaign trail. There will be a lot of finger-pointing and blaming. Okay. Joe? By the end of the fiscal year, on June 30th, Ohio will have collected $2 billion less in taxes than it did just a year ago, with a budget about $2.5 billion out of balance. There's nothing more to cut. Strickland and Republicans in the legislature are going to have to cover, come together, and have a temporary income tax or sales tax increase. Okay, Sam. If we don't get this thing together and people make uh, decisions, we're going to have a calamity and continuing resolutions because there's some hard issues. And tax increase is one of those things that we're going to have to agree on. Okay. This time last year, Governor Strickland's popularity rating was in the mid-60s. This year, it is in the mid-50s. By the time he announces his re-election, it will have dropped below the 50% mark, which in politics is a sign of significant vulnerability. With John Kasich in the race, finally there's someone making the case against Ted Strickland. Watch for a very competitive election for governor. Okay. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. You can continue this conversation at our website. Our question this week should Ohio do away with the state income tax? But we're not going to let you off that easy. If you want Ohio to do away with the income tax, just as Laura Bischoff suggested, you need to tell us how we're going to replace that revenue, roughly 18 to $20 billion a year. That's on our website, wosu.org slash cotr. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel and for that guy who was banging on the window, <laughs> I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.